my Spanish isn't what it should be. I think. I mean, my parents are both fluent, my older sister too, but me, I'm like, más o menos. I had my parents on the phone a few months ago, and I asked them why this was. How come I never learned Spanish? You didn't find an interest in Spanish. This is my pops, William. Somehow, his explanation for me not learning Spanish is that it's my fault. It just was naturally. It really didn't come in. We kept saying, you got to learn Spanish, but how are you going to learn Spanish if we don't push you to learn Spanish? You know, it wasn't there. And you didn't, you never showed an interest. I'm not going to blame you 100% because you never showed an interest in the Spanish. Uh, I mean, I think it came up in conversation often, but your dad and I were not committed. My wonderful mama, Martha, has a more accurate view, as she often does, in my opinion. We think in English to your dad and I, I believe that English is our first, is our first language because it's all we think in. It's all, you know, it's how we function every day. Mamita was the biggest influence. Mamita is my mom's mom. She didn't speak any English. Neither of my grandmothers did. They used to babysit me and my sister, Lauren. And because Lauren was older, she got a lot more practice. She spent more time with her grandmother. So she spent both more, both grandmothers. She spent more time. And your mother's mother really pushed the Spanish on her a lot. And she had no choice because if she wanted to communicate and she wanted something to eat or she wanted something more than just food or candy, she had to learn how to pick it up. I think what happened with that situation is that she would force you guys to listen, to understand, to learn and to speak. And Lauren did it, but then Lauren would translate for you. I don't know if you remember that. Mm -hmm. Mamita quiere, mom, mamita wants you to do this. Mamita wants you to do that. So in the translation, I believe that you became very familiar with what was being said, but you never spoke it. Called selective bilingual. Selective bilingual. It you were definitely you saying understand Latin. everything, but you can't speak because you never yeah. practiced it. Yes, that was you. And I guess we never made a big deal about it because part of it was our fault, you know, our responsibility. And we, we never, we never took the reins on that. Sorry about that. It's all good. I should have beat your ass instead of learning it. (laughs) Not being fluent in Spanish, but being surrounded by family who is, I'll be honest with y'all. It makes me feel a little like a faker because people outside my family They assume your boy can speak Spanish. They see me, my brown skin, my curly hair, my last name, Rivas, and they just start talking. Oye, guapo, como esta? I never really know what to do. You know, smile, nod, say the few phrases I know. Todo bien, todo bien, como esta? Sometimes I just pretend. But doing that comes with a whole lot of shame, or pena in Spanish. So I decided not too long ago that I would conquer this shame by learning more Spanish. While looking around for classes... I found one called Spanish Sin Pena, Spanish Without Shame. Bueno, entonces voy a continuar. I think it's always important. It's a Zoom-based program that goes way beyond Juan and Maria Fui a Biblioteca. They teach Spanish through relatable conversations about stuff like cooking, family, books, and travel. You know, the stuff that you actually want to talk about. It makes a point of tackling the shame that I and a lot of people who feel like we should already speak Spanish sometimes have. I'm just going to speak now to a few questions that always come up in my own personal opinion about it. 
This is a recording of one of my classes. That day we broke out into small groups and all shared what brought us to the program. My group had two other folks who were calling in from their cars. That is one thing I love about Spanish Simpana. They make it easy for people to participate. No shame. I just want to learn Spanish to get closer to something that feels far away that I, I feel like I should be close to. I want to be close to more than I feel like it. My family is Salvadoran, and my dad immigrated from El Salvador, but I didn't grow up speaking Spanish at home, same thing, and there was always that distance. I grew up in the Bronx at Washington Heights, so I've always been within community uh, with other like Latina folks, specifically from the Caribbean. And um, yeah, and now that I'm older too, like I just want to be able to communicate with people in Spanish. I've always been in community with folks. It is really freeing learning with people who are, for the most part, in the same boat as you. Today, I'm sitting down with the founder of Spanish in Pena. My name is Wendy Ramirez, and I do a million things. <laughs> but the one that keeps me really busy right now is developing the programs for Spanish in Pena. And her co-founder, Jackie Rodriguez. Hi, I'm Jackie. Um, I'm the creative director and co-founder of Spanish in Pena. When I first came up with the idea for this podcast, I knew I wanted to put amazing, innovative brown people on blast. Wendy and Jackie were two people I had to feature just because of how dope their program is. After the break, we're going to get into how and why Wendy and Jackie started Spanish in Pana and why your boy needed to join the program. Mi nombre es Christopher Rivas y esto es Brown Enough. True or false? Walmart has eye care. True. Stop by Walmart to save and browse top designer frames right where you already shop. And they accept most insurance. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. Cheers to a great day and this ice cold Corona. You know what would make this day even better? My grandma's carne asada. Or your grandma here with us, making carne asada. She does love a cold Corona. Throw in some dancing. Oh, we can watch the game. I'll drink to that. So a backyard concert with football, food, dancing, and Corona? And your grandma. Or we could keep it simple. Simple is good. Want a Corona? Thanks. Salud to the perfect day. Corona. La vida más fina. Get your Corona at ordercorona.com. Relax responsibly. Corona Extra Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. What is Spanish Sin Pena? A community. I think a, a community is a safe space for people to learn, grow, reflect, um, meet new people. Yeah, it's a safe space. It's a safe space to be able to, to, to build that community, to ask questions, to share your story, and to be there for one another. Y Sin Pena, what is Sin Pena? Without shame, but... One of the lessons this last semester was pena, you know, because you could say pena is shame, pero vale la pena means it's worth it. Yeah, I think pena is what's holding us back. I think the pena part that we address is what makes us different from other programs out there. 
it's the part where we ask the tough questions about all the things that come up around it, around the identity, the emotional blocks, the family traumas. I think it's more than just being a little shy. It's all those layers that come with exploring a language and exploring that part of your story and your family's history as well. Yeah, but Bena, you know, shame, shame sometimes of of not being where you think you need to be or where you're, you're expected to be. Um, and, you know, the interesting thing is is learning the difference between shame and being embarrassed. In, because it's one thing to be embarrassed and the other thing to 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 feel shame is like you're alone and you feel bad about yourself. There's not even other people around. And so that's that gets more towards the question of identity and um and just knowing your own story, discovering, you know, your voice. And yeah, so it's a it means a lot of different things. What was your relationship with uh, speaking Spanish as a child? Did you have it in your households? Were you? Yeah, I grew up speaking Spanish. It was my first land- language. But even then, I grew up in Los Angeles, crossing the border when I was little to, to Tijuana. My mom would go buy our shoes, our medicine in Tijuana because it was cheaper. But I lost, I lost that ability to communicate in Spanish by the time I got into high school. Because I, my mom would speak to me in Spanish and I'd respond in English because it just wasn't cool and you're trying to fit in. And, and yeah, it wasn't a cool, it wasn't cool to speak Spanish. And so I realized when, when I was in high school that I couldn't have a, I couldn't complete a sentence in Spanish. And, um, I would, you know, I, I got stuck and it was very frustrating. Yeah, and for me, so both my parents were from Mexico, and they had me really young. They had me when they were 18 years old. So I feel like they assimilated to just—they were just trying to survive. They were both working. My mom was trying to finish school. So teaching me Spanish just wasn't a priority for them at the time. So my tias helped babysit me a lot since my mom was finishing school and my dad was working. And so I grew up on novelas and Selena and music. And so it was always just, like— conversational Spanish and I can get by, but it was never at that professional level. But I never felt embarrassed about it, which is something that we found has been different with some of the students that we work with because there's that, um, there's the shame around it. And my family, I feel like I was more encouraged to at least continue trying and attempting because it was always able to be that advocate or be a resource for them. And same thing, once I moved into the nonprofit sector and we were having resource fairs trying to translate like policy changes and things for immigrant families, I would get, that's where I felt more self-conscious about my Spanish because I'm trying to be this resource, but I don't know how to explain these things in a simplified term that they can understand. But I think explaining to folks and telling them that I was trying to learn, I'm trying to reclaim it, and then like you'd feel the judgment just kind of go down a bit and they'd understand that I'm there and I'm trying to help them. And so they'd be so accepting and just really encourage me to keep trying and be like, Mija, I wish my English was as good as your Spanish. And so that always kept me wanting to keep trying and keep going. And even now we get to do little pop-ups and things like that with the señoras 
Shout out to the comadres. <laughs> <laughs> I love the word reclaim. Do you think all Latinx bodies, you know, brown people need to reclaim something? Or is it okay if you don't reclaim? You know, for some people it's reclaiming. I, I, I've had people tell me, oh, I never learned it. How can I reclaim something that I never, never learned or never had? Um, and then I have other people that say, oh, well, Spanish is really the language of the colonizers of, of Spain, of, mm -hmm. you know, and so that's not really going back to our, our roots. And, and the reason why I think I say reclaim is everyone has their own personal story, like with the, with the language, but what is a common thread is kind of our experiences and the way that Spanish has been treated in this country, in the U.S., and really tr been tried to erase it, you know? And so reclaiming is, is that. It's a collective reclaiming as well as an individual for some people. How did you two meet? So we met in D.C. and we got to grow our relationship, but then we both um, moved back to California within like a year of each other. Um, so yeah, so we came back and I was working at a nonprofit and it just wasn't really the best space for me because after years I just felt kind of burnt out mentally, physically. And so I was expressing that to Wendy and she was just sharing about this idea of Spanish sin pena and what she wanted to grow, and she was already doing private lessons. So I was like, okay, I'm going to quit my job, and I quit. And I took a week off, and we linked back up, and we started growing from there. Went from one-on-one, -on -one, a few one-on-one -on -one sessions, to now having 200 students. Can you give me that that uh, that birth moment, right? Like, it, when did it really get birthed in you? And you were like, I have to, I have to, I have to have this Spanish Benna baby. I think that seed was planted in me since I was a child and looking at our elected officials doing interviews on camera in Spanish that were struggling, that elected officials that looked like me being from LA. And so since then I knew I knew that there was there was something there. But I also when I was I was working in Congress, working mainly on immigration reform, and it was a very stressful time and situation, but I started teaching Spanish on the side for professionals in the D.C. area. And I would get out of my, you know, full-time job stressed, so stressed out, and I'd go in to teach, and I'd come out with a smile in my face, and just so, with so much joy in my heart. And I love sharing the language, the culture, and just helping people learn. And so I I started talking to people. I thought of this idea of maybe just focusing teaching Spanish to my community. And so I started talking to people. Jackie was one of the people that I interviewed. And every time I heard a story of someone telling me how they've struggled, 
like I had a voice inside of me saying like, I know I could do something. And I started just feeling a lot of pressure, like a lot of pressure, like because I'm like, I know that I could do something. I know that I could create something that it, that can help people. Like I want to find, I I want to bring the solution. I want to. Um, so yeah, and every time that still to this day, every time that I have a conversation, and I hear someone's story. I'm just like, I get so excited. I get so excited because I see the possibilities um, for them. The possibilities for a program like this are endless. Being able to communicate in a different language, especially if it's your family's native language, just opens up a new world. A world that maybe you were scared of, but with a little more confidence and a little less pena, you might be able to walk into that world with your head held high. We're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, the ladies and I talk about the diverse group of people who find their way to Spanish Cimpana and some of their success stories. You know, from the students that might be a little more uh, consistent than me. Wendy, Jackie, I promise I will be in class this week. I promise. Stick around. NetCredit is here to say yes, because you're more than a credit score. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partners. NetCredit. Credit to the people. True or false? Walmart has eye care. True. Stop by Walmart to save and browse top designer frames right where you already shop. And they accept most insurance. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart. We're back with co-founders of Spanish Sin Pena, Wendy Ramirez and Jackie Rodriguez. Can you get into the nitty gritty a little? How many, what's a course? How long is it? How many classes a week? How long is a class? Why, why did you decide that? We're always looking at flexibility. How can we keep it flexible for working professionals we recommend that you do three three hours to four a week of instruction, not independent, you know, work on your own. But we know that that reality changes. So we, for people that do have the time, you know, we want to give them as much practice speaking up to two, twice a week, at least to just speak and then participate in a lot of the other bonus sessions that we offer as their interest, you know, as they see, as they see issues and topics that they're interested in. I think we really try to meet folks where they're at. So if they, of course, practicing speaking, but if they're readers, join the book club. If you like to cook, like join one of our bonus sessions where you're doing a cooking class or a workshop, maybe podcasting 101. (laughs) So just trying to find folks interest points and making it a fun way, something fun to learn. How many non-Latinx students have you gotten, do you get, if any? I think we get a lot of students that are biracial. And then we have a, maybe a few, not too many, but a handful of students who probably don't identify. But either their husband is from Latin America or in their children 
are you know mixed yeah so again but i think it's it's definitely the majority of our our students are people that like us i know that you have uh, an advanced a more advanced course courses and beginner what percentage of your students are like beginner 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 probably well, there's two levels of beginners, so, but maybe that chunk would probably be about 20 to 30%. And I think one of the things we talk about a lot when it comes to evaluating someone by their level is they're folks who know how to speak it really well, but it's the confidence. So it's also the if, if they have the confidence to actually speak it. And so some of them might start in level A, but they're really Bs. And so doing the program kind of brings that out a little bit more. Have you heard of the term selective bilingual? Mm. That's a, a term that I heard before I started taking your course. Um, that means you can understand it, but you can't speak it, uh, which is how I have always felt about myself because my grandmothers don't speak English, so they would talk to me in Spanish, you know, but but I would always respond in English. Um and I and I never understood. I was like, it's in there, right? It's in there somewhere. What is your relationship to your students who, who come in with that? I think that's the majority of them. So that's why our big focus is speaking more than anything else. And we try to give as many opportunities for folks to practice speaking. And me, myself, I'm learning another language and I'm noticing and paying attention to how I learn. And I tried for many years to learn Portuguese and I, I couldn't until the pandemic. <laughs> I, 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 even, I even worked in Sao Paulo for a little bit and I wouldn't communicate. But during the pandemic, I started to talk to people on, on Zoom and, uh, and it's speaking. The key, the, the key really is to just, because again, even for those folks, especially like you can hear, you've heard it your whole life, it'll come to you. You'll remember. Who are your facilitators and how do you find them? We're always trying new things. We're always getting feedback, hearing from our students and, and building community. We are structuring it in a way where we feel there's a lot of value in you talking to people that were in your shoes that have felt your emotions. So a lot of our facilitators are students, students that have gone through the program that have been with us for a long time and actually know what it's like to be in somebody's shoes. And so, yeah, that's a big part of who our facilitators are. Also, I always look at people, I, I want to bring diversity. I want you to hear a Dominican accent. I want you to hear a Puerto Rican accent, a Colombian accent, a Mexican accent. So I'm always looking for diversity and for people that have that experience of knowing what that pena feels like. And interestingly enough, you know, like one of the things that I always ask and when I vet people or when I'm vetting people as we grow is, how do you feel about Spanglish? Because that says a lot about a teacher instructor that's teaching Spanish, um, and that's one of that's one of the ways that I, you know, vet people. And that's, what answer do you want when when you ask that? A lot of 
a, well, my answer. <laughs> <laughs> you want your answer. Yeah, yeah, well, my sense. answer, exactly. No, um, I've gotten a lot of really good answers, but the answer that was an answer, like if it would have come out of my mouth, is to show respect for for the language, for students that are using Spanglish to learn, to know that it's okay to use Spanglish as a form of communicating. But the more that you move through the language and the more that you understand, knowing what are the alternatives to using Spanglish is also very valuable so that it could come with more ease. I think part of that is we've had students share with us that growing up, there's from their parents or grandparents, it was either you speak Spanish or you speak English, like Spanglish was looked down upon or was messy or lazy or whatever label they want to put on it. And so us, again, promoting that safe space with the facilitator is also being able to navigate and help someone that's working through that Spanglish, learning that it's okay to speak Spanglish as you're learning with the intention of knowing your goal is to be able to you know, communicate comfortably with your whatever Spanish goal you have for yourself. I imagine a lot of trauma can come up in these programs. I don't believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that you are a licensed therapist. How do you handle that? Yes, I think that, it, well, for me, it's, what, it's also been a challenge, right? Trying to be, trying to manage that responsibly. I know that for me, the way that I handle that is I'm very transparent and I let people know that there might be issues that are triggering and that we're not therapists and that they should seek for support if they need it. But I think the other part that I do is I just show my own vulnerability and I show how I struggle with these issues myself and just allow space for us to do the to do the struggle together that's but it is it is definitely a challenging and so it's always providing for me support to facilitators because I actually we were talking to our facilitators and we just I asked the question how many of you guys have gotten other students cry in your sessions you know how do you handle that and so we have these conversations on the on the other side are there any stories you have, or is there any triggering points that are pretty consistent? Triggering points that are consistent. I think around a lot of it around um, the shame and feeling isolated is definitely something common. We're constantly hearing that really motivates us. We're always hearing, I'm not alone, or I'm not the only one, or I thought that was the only one that this has happened to. And so I feel like that isolating that questioning your Latinidad, not feeling like enough because of a language, is definitely probably one of the biggest like factors that a lot of people commonly share. One of the other triggering points for a lot of our students is speaking about family. Mm. It's it's the reason for a lot of them. It's the reason they want to learn Spanish, but it's the block also for them speaking Spanish. The They've shut down around their family because they either their own family has made them feel bad or ashamed. So talking about that always brings up a lot of triggers. Yeah. Uh, when immigrants move to this country sometimes, or not even immigrants, you know, I think I put my parents in this boat, you assimilate. And uh, 
you maybe distance yourself from another place that you can thrive with quotation marks, survive in this current place you're at. Uh, does are there students of yours who were intentionally not t- taught Spanish? Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> I think it was a, a decision, and so it's been that forgiveness of your parents, of your ancestors, of your grandparents for trying to protect you, but at the same time, you know, causing harm. I knew that when I started taking Spanish classes, because I knew at some point in my life I would, it would suck as much as it did emotionally. It's it's, it's, a, it's a true emotional battle. Uh, I think kind of how I opened this was learning a language you think you should already know. And... Or you've been hiding not knowing. You know, like, you've just sort of been dancing around it. Um, using the words you do know, you know, just enough, sprinkle it in here and there, let them think what they want to think and make the assumption they want to make about how much Spanish I can speak. But I'm just really loving all of these continual words like grace, compassion, confidence, like these these soft words that allow for so much opening. Because it feels so much deeper than 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 even the words, than even the language. Um, you open class, the whole thing, you open the whole program by splitting us up into groups. And you had us ask, answer a question. What's that question? Does it change? What is that question? What is your intention? Why do you want? Why do you want to learn Spanish? That's the most important question to start off with. And I remember a girl said, "I want to talk to my grandmother before she passes." I know that I wasn't able to speak to one of my grandmothers before she passed. You know, like not really, like to hear her stories and really get into it and hear her wisdom. I think that's a beautiful part for me. Is I want to. I want to hear. I want to hear. I want to get wisdom. And you can only really get wisdom from an elder, from other people, if you can really go to places with them in language. I think that's what we do with storytelling. It's a gift we give each other, and and language gives us that gift. What are some intentions you've heard that you were like, yeah, amen? That's a very that's a shared one. Speaking to your grandparents, to your grandmother, and we've seen people do that. The beautiful thing I had we had one student who her grandmother was very elderly and sick and took her a long time to learn to speak in order to have a conversation with her. But when she started having that conversation with her, her grandmother like had forgotten that she couldn't speak Spanish before. And it had, and it just felt so natural. They went into the conversation and she was just sharing things like if it was, if it always had been that way. And um, that is, you know, seeing that, seeing that connection. And when people share this, those stories, I, I get Chiyona. <laughs> oh, wait. and that was just so beautiful because that just happened. And she came back from that trip and was like, this is why I joined the program. And I finally got to do the thing I've been preparing for and just... It's just so overwhelming and just we're so proud of being able to, to see people meet their goals and make these connections, whether it's connecting with elders, teaching your kids, doing a parent-teacher conference, or, you know, we have immigration advocates, mental health workers, people doing amazing work. And 
really making big impacts in our community. Uh, one of our first students, a teacher, wanted to communicate with the parents of her students working in a community. And again, having grown up hearing Spanish, but not speaking it. She could understand a lot, but not communicate directly with the parents. And so I, I know that I got her excited about learning. She'd, she'd walk around her school and try to practice with other teachers, with the principal. And she shared that it was back to school night and her, her students' parents came and she was able to communicate with them in Spanish. But that wasn't the remarkable thing for me. The thing that really stuck out is what she said is that she shared with the parents, like, I'm learning Spanish. I I want, you know, like, it's, I want you guys to continue to speak Spanish to your children and not let them forget it. And the response that she got from the parents was one of surprise and astonishment because they had never felt like their language was valuable. And so here they are seeing their teacher, their children's teacher, learn a language and tell them that there is value in it and that they need to keep passing that down to their children in a society that tells them your kids need to speak in English in order to succeed, in order to, you know, make anything of themselves in this country. It was beautiful to have her lead that example and, and for parents to hear that. Do you have a vision for how big Spanish Impena can get? Well, I mean, we're going to go to Puerto Rico. We've we've planned to do, we've done international trips before. And obviously with the pandemic, we had to slow down, but we're going to take over. <laughs> I feel like there's just, there is a, a, a large audience that just, the, that we all face this, these same issues and all these things come up, and we just don't know this space is here. So just getting the word out and letting folks know that we're here, once they find out, it's going to just keep growing. <laughs> I, I think a lot about what our legacy will will be in terms of how we, for me, it's, you know, change the narrative, give the tools for people to learn, empower themselves, speak, get that confidence, but also just be part of changing the narrative, be, being part of having people recognize other people's stories, valid stories, and not judging, you know, like not judging people. That's part of how I see the legacy and, and feeling, again, that passing that on to the next generations hoping that the next generations, you know, maybe there is a Spanish sin pena in a different version or it's called something different, but just how to support really the next generations. I think I'm that gets me excited. I get interested especially on working with youth when they're in a, a critical time in their lives and preventing a lot of that pena to build up. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's the growth that I see. What do you need to get there? If you were to ask, put it out, what do you need? I think we have what we need. Hey. Honestly, I think we I think it's it's letting the process develop, like letting it letting it 
grow, letting it bloom. Like we're tending to it, we're watering it, we're talking to <laughs> to it, and it's it's blooming and it's growing, and it's just kind of enjoying seeing the beauty of it as it blossoms. That is is the way that I see it. You know, when I get excited about working with young people, I'm gonna be learning in the process directly with them. I do this work because I learn so much myself and I look forward to that being part of that process for me to discover and and figure out how to how to work with people and how to provide them what really can can have an impact in their lives. Um yeah, I'm really grateful y'all came. I wanted this to happen as soon as I as soon as day one. <laughs> as soon as you asked what the intention was. Thank you for the invitation. It's been you know, it's fair. It's we enjoy having these conversations, and and I always learn. So, also awesome to hear from you, Chris, like just directly. So that's pretty cool. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. we have so many students, and so it's hard to get these one-on-one opportunities. So it is really nice to be able to hear your experience and your story and why you joined our program. So thank you for sharing and for. Having us, and also for kicking off the be- the beginning of something new for your, your new project. Okay, eso es todo. Gracias para escuchar este episodio de Brown Enough, or is it uh, el Marrón Enough? You see, I'm trying, and that is all it's about. A special thank you to both Wendy and Jackie for coming on the show. I really love what they got going on. And if you're interested, please check out SpanishSingPena.com. That's going to be where all your questions can get answered. And you can check out how to join. I'll see you next week. I'm out. Peace. Brown Enough is a production of Stitcher. It's created and hosted by me, Christopher Rivas. And I'm also an executive producer. Our team includes producers Manolo Morales, senior producer Abigail Keel, technical director Casey Holford, production assistant Gabriela Gladney, and executive producer Camille Stanley. Original music by Casey Holford. Special thanks to Brendan Burns and Abby Aguilar. Workhouse Media is a contributing producer to this podcast. Carlos E. Hernandez of Ikigai Management is also an executive producer of Brown Enough. Don't forget to subscribe or follow Brown Enough so you never miss an episode. Thanks. Witness Docs from Stitcher. True or false? Walmart has eye care. True. Stop by Walmart to save and browse top designer frames right where you already shop. And they accept most insurance. Welcome to Easy Eye Care. Welcome to your Walmart.